Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, and Russia's Sputnik Radio. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In the UK, there is much opposition to the controversial police and crime bill that would give police much greater powers to crack down on protests that are deemed disruptive. A new public nuisance charge could result in a 10-year prison sentence or an unlimited fine. A report on the highs and the lows of Joe Biden's first year as president. A series of brief reports on the increasing rates of COVID around the world and the surprising way that governments are convincing people to get vaccinated. Boris Johnson is fighting increasing calls for his resignation as Prime Minister of the UK. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. People have been rallying in cities across the UK to protest against a new bill, they say, is an attack on the right to demonstrate. The controversial police and crime bill would grant police greater powers to crack down on disruptive protests, but critics say it will also make it difficult to hold peaceful demonstrations. Andy Smith is rehearsing in his head his first words to his wife, Emma, a scientist. Today, she'll be walking free after two months in prison in southern England. Andy Smith could never have imagined that she would ever be behind bars. Oh my gosh, that I love her so much and I'm so proud of her. I, I, I you know, we have, we have really young nieces who, um, their, their future is not going to be the same future that we had, right? And um, we, ha- we have to fight for that future. Her crime, she blocked a motorway. She is part of an environmental group that is pressuring the government to insulate British homes to save energy. They say it's the cheapest way to tackle the climate crisis. I'm terrified of what's coming down the road right now. Fires, floods, we're seeing them happen all over the world. Insulating Britain is the first step we can take in tackling this. And our government have a responsibility to do that. But blocking roads for hours has enraged motorists. The British government has vowed to put an end to it. In a statement, the Home Office tells DW, freedom to protest within the law is a fundamental part of our democracy, but the police must swiftly deal with the selfish minority of protesters whose actions endanger the public. The UK government is targeting environmental activists. It wants to stop disruptive protests. Public nuisance will be a new offence, carrying a maximum penalty of up to 10 years in prison or an unlimited fine. And that's highly controversial. NGOs and human rights groups have staged many protests. They see the bill as an attack on democracy itself. And even conservative legal observers, like the former Attorney General, are concerned. 
the most problematic are the parts which give to the Home Secretary very significant powers to determine what constitutes serious disruption. Uh, whereas normally that would be a matter left to the police. Emma Smart and her fellow protesters know that their disruption is controversial. But they see no other way than to continue breaking the law. It's our fundamental right that if our government is failing, that we can hold that government to account. Um, these are our elected representatives. They are supposed to be protecting the people. And if they are failing at that, then it should be our right to stand up and protest. And the response of them to imprison of us is absolutely, it's draconian. <laughs> For the moment, the protesters are happy to be outside. But with a new bill, it seems only a matter of time until they will be behind bars again. DW's Washington DC bureau chief Enos Paul has this report now on the highs and lows of the first 12 months of the Biden administration. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. One year ago, large parts of the Western world breathed a sigh of relief. Not so much because of the new occupant of White House, President Joe Biden, a long-term figure in Washington with almost a half a century of policy-making experience, but because they hoped that the chaotic chapter that was the Donald Trump experiment would soon be at an end. David Marinus is an award-winning journalist and a presidential biographer. He was clearly the right person for the job a year ago. He was probably the one Democrat who could get elected and stop the Trump descendants. But now a year later, there are real questions about that, about whether he's the right person for the next three years. To start with the positives. In his first year in office, President Biden was able to push a $1 trillion infrastructure package through Congress, a feat that no president had been able to accomplish in 60 years. But its impact won't be felt for a long time and people might not reward him with their vote in 2024. What they do feel immediately are the increasing prices for basic goods. Inflation has risen at its fastest pace in nearly four decades, pushing prices up at a 7% annual rate. For the international community, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan raised many questions, especially about how closely the new White House is really willing to work together with its NATO partners. One, two, three. Like most parts of the world, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic is a major challenge. With midterm elections coming up in November, Biden is in danger of losing his razor-thin majority in the Senate and in the House. Biden has to walk a fine line between protecting the American people and scaring or ignoring the concerns of possible voters. Mr. With his approval rating at an all-time low, with 65% of Americans believing his presidency is a failure, what could the next steps be? It requires more than just Joe Biden requires the entire Democratic Party to get its act together, um, which it hasn't been able to do in this last year. And getting some luck on the pandemic. I mean, some of it is beyond his control. Even one of the most powerful politicians in the world faces severe limits to pushing through his agenda. It is a new and an unwelcomed pandemic record. Germany has recorded more than 100,000 new coronavirus infections in the last 24 hours. That is a first in this pandemic. 
The surge is fueled by the highly contagious Omicron variant, which now accounts for the majority of new infections. The effect on hospitals here has not been as bad as previously feared, but authorities are warning the public not to let their guard down. England has announced that it's ending most coronavirus restrictions yet again. Some measures were reintroduced last December to slow the spread of Omicron. Portugal says citizens in isolation because of COVID-19 will be allowed to leave their homes to vote for one hour in the evening on Election Day. And Japan has extended COVID-19 restrictions to the capital, Tokyo, as it registers a record number of new infections due to that Omicron variant. The World Health Organization says the pandemic is Quote, nowhere near over, saying again that vaccine inequality could lead to new variants emerging. France has reported more than 460,000 positive cases over 24 hours. That's a new one-day record since the start of the pandemic. And Australia is calling on backpackers to help ease its labor shortage fueled by the Omicron variant. The government says it's waiving its $630 visa application free fee for backpackers arriving on work and travel visas within the next three months. Japan hopes to curb a surge in infections by administering booster shots after six instead of the originally planned eight months. Fewer than 1% of Japanese have received their third inoculation. France has barred people not vaccinated against COVID-19 from much of public life. The government wants to provide further incentives for people to be inoculated as infection numbers are rising. Thousands of protesters have marched through Amsterdam against COVID-19 regulations and vaccination campaigns, despite the government loosening some restrictions in response to the public opposition. France has barred people unvaccinated against COVID-19 from much of the country's public life. Parliament backed restrictions today to keep them away from restaurants, sports arenas and domestic flights. The bill is part of government efforts to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. The Canadian province of Quebec has introduced new restrictions on alcohol sales for the unvaccinated. Stores selling liquor and cannabis will now only be accessible to people who are vaccinated against COVID-19. Quebec has been hit hard by a wave of Omicron cases. Austria's Chancellor Karl Nehammer has unveiled uh, revised plans for a proposed coronavirus vaccine mandate beginning in February. In mid-March, adult residents who don't comply, comply could face fines of up to 3,600 euros. The government aims to have parliamentary approval on Thursday. Greece has begun imposing monthly fines on people over the age of 60 who refuse to get vaccinated. The mandate announced last month levies a penalty of 50 euros for January. It will rise to 100 euros beginning in February. About two-thirds of Greece's population is fully vaccinated. That is slightly below the European Union average. Well, to the UK now, where Boris Johnson is fighting to stay on as prime minister after revelations about boozy gatherings held at his Downing Street residence as millions were enduring COVID-19 lockdowns. Johnson is facing mounting pressure to quit from the opposition and from his own conservatives and from ordinary citizens. After the drinks parties, the hangover. In Parliament, Boris Johnson defied calls to resign from his political opponents. Would Prime Minister agree it's now time for him to resign. Yeah. Uh, no, Mr Speaker, but what I can tell her is that, I, as I said to the House last week, 
I, I, I apologise sincerely for uh, any misjudgments that were made. Johnson has apologised for attending Bring Your Own Booze gatherings, but said he thought it was a work event and wasn't told it was against the rules. He's sitting tight for now, but even his Tory peers may try to oust him. One lawmaker defected to the Labour opposition and his party's former Brexit minister urged him to resign. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. As the political storm continued in the House of Commons, Johnson announced the end of COVID-19 measures introduced to curb the rapid spread of the Omicron variant. Some people were sceptical about the timing and felt it was meant to distract from his current political woes. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, NHK Japan. Several reports on the aftermath of the damage from the undersea volcanic eruption in the South Pacific near Tonga, which led to tsunami waves up to 45 feet tall and enormous amounts of ash. The World Economic Forum is usually held in Davos, Switzerland, but this year, because of COVID, it is being held online. The Chinese President Xi Jinping led with a call for nations to end their Cold War mentality, avoid polarizing cliques, and for global cooperation to tackle the pandemic. A few weeks ago, there were hardly any new cases of COVID in Japan, but that has drastically changed, leading to new emergency declarations in much of the country, including Tokyo. The president of Iran visited Putin in Moscow to strengthen the partnership between the nations. There has been extreme heat in parts of South America and Australia. Note, 40 degrees Celsius is 104 Fahrenheit and 50.7 degrees Celsius is 123 degrees Fahrenheit. NHK World Radio Japan People in Tonga are taking stock of the damage after a major volcanic eruption on Saturday. Officials have confirmed that three people died and many others were injured. They say the eruption generated tsunami waves that reached as high as 15 meters. The tsunami caused serious damage along the west coast of many islands, including Tonga Tapu, where the capital, Nuku'alofa, is located. On one island, all the houses were destroyed, and, one, and on another, only two remained standing. Officials say volcanic ashes polluting water supplies. They're making an effort to ensure people have enough to drink. They say the disaster has cut off communications. The internet is down, and satellite phones and high-frequency radio are available only in limited areas. The eruption has impacted transportation systems as well. Wharves have suffered damage, and crews are working to clear ash from airports. Officials say they're assessing the damage while keeping a close watch for further volcanic activity. New Zealand says it has sent supplies by ship, but it'll take days for those necessities to reach the people who need them. Another urgent task is restoring communications, including a crucial undersea line severed in two places. If there is still some volcanic activities, then we're looking at another week or so. So possibly 
three weeks uh, before we have our internet uh, communication again. The eruption is still threatening the environment in the Pacific region. Satellite imagery shows clouds of sulfur dioxide, which could cause acid rain, moving westward toward Vanuatu and parts of Australia. The effects of the blast traveled 10,000 kilometers to South America. Waves caused a ship off Peru to spill crude oil, which washed up along about two kilometers of coastline. World leaders, billionaires and celebrities would usually mingle this time of year in Davos, Switzerland. But the pandemic has forced the organizers of the World Economic Forum to postpone their meeting. Instead, they're discussing everything from the pandemic to climate change online. Chinese President Xi Jinping called on delegates to discard their Cold War mentality. History has proved time and again that confrontation does not solve problems. It only invites catastrophic consequences. Protectionism and unilateralism can protect no one. She criticized those who put themselves in what he called exclusive small circles that polarize the world. He called for global cooperation in tackling the pandemic. He pledged an additional one billion doses of vaccine for countries in Africa and Southeast Asia. Omicron has been spreading in various parts of the world for months, and now it's fueling a rapid surge in case numbers in Japan. Authorities confirmed more than 46,000 new infections across the country on Thursday, the third consecutive day of record-breaking tallies. The largest hotspot is Tokyo, where officials once again logged more new cases than ever on Thursday, with the figure surpassing 8,600. And infections are spreading fast. I want people to act as though the Omicron variant is very near at hand or may even have already infected them or someone they love. Okinawa and two other prefectures were the first to be granted quasi-emergency powers by the central government. On Friday, such declarations will be expanded to cover 13 more jurisdictions, including Tokyo. This will give local officials the authority to take stricter measures, such as calling on bars and restaurants to take greater precautions. Such strictures could include a pause in alcohol sales, early closing times, and limits on customer numbers. The central government is expected to further expand the number of locales given quasi-emergency status. In the western prefecture of Osaka, Thursday's case count was nearly 6,000, slightly less than the record logged the day before. A panel of experts convened by the health ministry has discussed ways to address the unprecedented surge. Among other proposals was the suggestion that younger patients be diagnosed and treated based on their symptoms alone, allowing care providers to concentrate on the elderly and others at a higher level of risk. The president of Iran is looking to Russian leaders for help. Ibrahim Raisi is visiting Moscow in an effort to strengthen ties. Raisi held talks with President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday. It's the first visit to Russia by the anti-U.S. conservative since he took office in August.
Putin said Russia is working closely with Iran to deal with issues facing the international community. He said it's of great significance that Russia learns Iran's stance on the 2015 nuclear deal with world powers. Raisi said he thinks bilateral relations will be permanent and strategic. He stressed that he will strengthen his country's partnership with Russia on the economic front and by other means to counter U.S. sanctions. Washington unilaterally withdrew from the nuclear pact in 2018 and reinstated sanctions against Tehran. The U.S. and Iran have been holding indirect negotiations aimed at reviving the deal, but there are no prospects for a breakthrough. Extreme heat continues to scorch parts of South America, including Paraguay. Our meteorologist Sayakamori has the details in World Weather. Hello there. It's in the middle of summer in the southern hemisphere and we have seen a lot of new records. For example, Florida and Uruguay saw 44.0 degrees on Friday, making it the national record, the tied national record. And Buenos Aires saw 41.5 degrees, making the second hottest day ever for the city. A heat wave has continued to hit central and southern regions of South America since last week in Buenos Aires. People flocked to beaches and tried to find respite under the trees as temperatures soared into the 40s Celsius. Wildfires were also reported in parts of the country. Weather experts say that this pattern is linked to La Nina that is taking place this year. National record high was set in uh, Australia last week. The high rose to 50.7 degrees Celsius in Onslow, tying the national record set in 1960 last week. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7245 and 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet like listeners in Mendocino and Willits, California and a repeat supporter from Utrecht, Netherlands did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Sputnik Radio. On the show called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi spoke with Max Lawson of the Oxfam Institute Oxfam released a report saying 99% of humanity's income fell, 160 million were pushed into poverty, and the top richest men saw their wealth more than double from $700 billion to $1.5 trillion. Oxfam is calling for a one-time wealth tax. Sputnik Radio. NGO Oxfam International has released its latest annual report on global inequality. It's the second since the start of the pandemic. The findings show that billionaires have just received their highest annual pay increase since records began. Meanwhile, inequality is killing one person every four seconds. Joining me now from London is Oxfam International's head of inequality, Max Lawson. 
I've been watching billionaires and inequality for some years now, and uh, it's hard to exaggerate the scale of the increase during COVID-19. This isn't just your uh, every year increase in billionaire fortunes. This is more like a, a graph that you might see for the Omicron variant. It's an exponential growth in billionaire wealth in the last uh, year and a half or 19 months since the beginning of the pandemic. So it's absolutely extraordinary, and particularly when you contrast that with the fact that vast majority of people worldwide are seeing lower incomes than if COVID had not happened. And you've seen this sharp uptick in poverty across the world. So it's really become a, a billionaire variant, if you like, that we have to combat here, an explosion in inequality worldwide because of COVID-19. The rich nations that were able to spend money on supporting the general population did the right thing. And in stark contrast to many developing countries, who just didn't simply have the money to do that. But a lot of that money, a lot of that money that was printed by the central banks has also inflated asset prices, driven up the, the stock market. And that's where, why you're seeing this historic increase in billionaire wealth, because they are predominantly most of their wealth is held in stocks and in the market. So. This is an extraordinary, almost like a wartime moment. You know, all of this money pumped into the economy, that was the right thing to do, but much of it leaking into the bank accounts of billionaires. These billionaires have not worked twice as hard in the last year and a half. They're not twice as clever, and yet they're twice as rich. So what we're saying is let's have a one-off solidarity tax of 99% and claw that money back, because ultimately it's taxpayers' money, it's government money, and then let's put it to use vaccinating the world, combating inequality everywhere, instead of gathering dust in the bank accounts of the already rich. It, as we saw after the financial crisis, quantitative easing does very much serve the interests of the rich and the owners of assets, but it also keeps the economy afloat and keeps neoliberalism going. So I, I don't think they're doing it exclusively to benefit the richest. But let me put it this way. If it's a choice between that and greater taxation of the rich to pay for support to people with furlough and for the poorest in their society, then they're always going to choose to print money before they tax the rich. We even have the chief economist of the IMF calling for greater taxation of wealth and solidarity taxes. But then when you comb through the loan agreements that are on the table for all of these developing nations, it's more of the same. You know, it's cutbacks in spending, it's higher taxes on the poor, VAT. So really, the actual reality of what the IMF means in most countries is going to be more austerity, more pain and more inequality unless something changes. Why would the 2,755 billionaires listed in Forbes and the politicians they pay for ever consent to such a tax? We have seen some countries, Argentina, for instance, has introduced a new wealth tax. Colombia is increasing their wealth tax. Joe Biden had plans to increase uh, taxes on the richest, which are so far being stymied by Congress. This isn't a huge swathe of new wealth taxes that we would like to see, but we do think the narrative is changing. And we do think there is a general feeling that the richest should pay more tax in the forward to our report and lots of very, very rich people coming out in favour of taxing the rich. So not just the usual NGO voices, but Abigail Disney, who is the granddaughter of Walt Disney, does the forward to our report this year. And she says very clearly that the richest people on earth have to and must pay higher taxes. So I remain optimistic that we might see greater taxation of wealth in the coming years. Max Lawson, thank you. 
That excerpted interview is by Afshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. And on YouTube, search for Going Underground. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at the website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.